And tonight, just for time's sake, I'm going to jump in. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, 1 to 3, thinking about the nature of faith. But let me read our passage first, and I'll pray for us, and then we'll spend our time, a little bit of time together, thinking about what is, what is faith. Um, so Hebrews 11, starting verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. That's what we're going to work our way through the rest of the semester. Verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for uh, the chance to be together. It is, it is good to be together. Lord, I thank you for um, this place. I thank you for uh, this group. Lord, I pray that you would be the one uh, who is our teacher. Lord, I pray that you would be the one who is, you call yourself, the lifter of our heads. For those of us who maybe the break was hard and we feel discouraged, Lord, would you be the lifter of our head? Lord, would you be the one, uh, Lord, you tell us in your word that you love for us, you invite us to come and reason with you. I pray, especially in this semester, as we think about faith and what it looks like, what it feels like, how it works, that you would remind us that you invite our questions, our doubts, uh, our struggles. Lord, you, you invite us as whole people with all of our questions, struggles, doubts to come and reason with you. Lord, would you meet us in that way tonight and this whole semester? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. That's what I want to do tonight is I just want to look at what is historically called kind of the three aspects or the three layers. And when we think about faith, what do we mean? And here they are. We're just going to dive in. Here are the three aspects or layers. Uh, this is going to sound weird. I was, I'm, a, I'm a big McDonald's guy. And the thing, the Big Mac is a thing of beauty. And part of why, to me, the Big Mac is a thing of beauty is, is, that, is that second, that middle bun. You have those three beautiful buns that just make the, the Big Mac something special. The secret sauce helps, too. And that's how we're going to think about faith is those three layers. Let's, let's close in prayer. Uh, we are thinking about th- the three layers as a process. Faith is a process. And, and I just want to go one by one, Adam. Here. I'm just going to give all three, and then we'll work through them one by one. First, faith is understanding. In other words, it engages the mind. Second, faith is conviction. It engages the heart. And then thirdly, or lastly, faith is commitment. It engages the will. Let's do them one by one. First, faith is understanding. All right, notice in these first three verses, uh, what I want you to point out, or what I want to point out is there is both a looking backward and a looking forward when we think about faith. We're looking backward to what God has done, specifically verse 3. We're going to get there next week. Looking backward to actually how God formed the world. But there's a looking forward. If you look at verse 1, we're looking at the assurance of things hoped for. That's future. So faith is looking both backward at what God has done in space and time to accomplish our salvation, and it's looking forward to what he is doing and will do when he makes all things new. Uh, here's the way I was thinking about it. I don't know if you followed the sphere in Las Vegas. It looks pretty creepy. <laughs> it's a combination of very creepy and also amazing. If, you've, if you're not familiar, the sphere is like, 
outwardly it turns into weird things like an eyeball. It just, that part is super creepy. But I was reading about the experience, like when you two opened it, it's this fully immersive experience where the whole thing is wrapped in screens and sound. And if I understood it right, like if you've been to a 4D movie, like mists and extra just sensory things. And if you can just imagine we, we're, we're at a concert in the sphere, what's, what's behind us is meant to sort of impact and shape and color what we're seeing in front of us. And that's one way the author of Hebrews wants us to think about faith, that we're immersed. What happened before we came along is huge. We have to look backward to see what has God done in space and time to accomplish our salvation, but we also look forward to what he's doing and will do. And here's the one application in this point is simply this. God cares about your mind. Uh, He cares about your mind. In other words, faith isn't just a feeling. It isn't just a, a feeling of inspiration. There's a logic to it. There's a reasoning to it, which means the Lord isn't afraid of our questions. He loves when we come and reason together with him. I love the story of C.S. Lewis's conversion. Uh, I was reading it afresh today. At age 15 or age 17, here's what Lewis wrote to a friend. He said, I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. And then 15 years went along. Uh, if you know, oh, can I knock? It might be the pizza. This is my one Roman Empire joke because I don't ever think about the Roman Empire. All right. I never think about the Roman Empire unless it's Little Caesars, and then I do. Um, so, so, 15 years happens. And Lewis saying this whole Christianity thing is, is bunk. And then what happens is he begins to reason with friends. There are lots of things that happen. One of them is his brother. Uh, one of them is, is Tolkien, if you know the story. And then 15 years later, as Lewis really did set out to disprove Christianity. And 15 years later, when Lewis came to faith, he said this to that same friend. He said, Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things. Namely, the actual incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. God cares about our mind. And this means here's what it means that if we're considering Jesus, either we're considering Jesus truly for the first time, or we've known him all our lives. What I love about this is there's always room for growth. There's always room for growth in our understanding. Let me try it like this. This is, I say this not just to you, but to myself, speaking of the room for growth in our understanding. Have you read the whole Bible? Those Bible reading plans, some of you, they get tough. You get into Leviticus, you're like, ugh. Would you say you understand the whole Bible? Do you understand how it all fits together? Old Testament and New Testament? Do you understand how every bit of it, in some way, big or small, is pointing us to Jesus? Do you understand Revelation? <laughs> I don't fully Do you understand all the comforting and challenging words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount? And I think if we're being humble, if we're being honest, whether we're truly considering Jesus for the first time or have known him all our lives, we don't. There's always room for growth in our understanding, which means there's always growth for um, a correction of a misunderstanding of who God is. 
There's an illustration I love from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, if you don't know him, he's, uh, some people call him the modern C.S. Lewis. He's written a lot of helpful things. But one of his roles for a long time was being the chaplain at Oxford. And part of his job when he was the chaplain was he would meet with every freshman that came through to sort of set them up for the year. And here's how he said it. He said basically a lot, if you know England at the time, uh, post, post-faith, post-Christian world, and most of these freshmen were like, we have no interest in this Christianity thing. And here's how he tells the story. He says, many of them, many of these freshmen, so many of them, meaning to be politely dismissive, would say, you won't be seeing much of me this year. You see, I don't believe in God. And he said, I heard so many, this so many times. I developed something of a stock response. And I would say, oh, that's interesting. Which God is it you don't believe in? And he said, this used to surprise them. They mostly regarded the word God as a, a univocal, always meaning the same thing. So they would stumble out a few phrases about that God they said they did not believe in. A being who lived up in the sky, looking down disapprovingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, sending bad people to hell while allowing good people to share his heaven. Again, I had a stock response for this very common statement of spy in the sky theology. Well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. At this point, they would look startled, and then perhaps a faint look of recognition. It was sometimes rumored that half the college chaplains at Oxford were atheists. And no, I would say, I believe in the God I see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. What most people mean by God in late modern Western culture simply is not the mainstream Christian meaning. God cares about our mind. Faith is understanding, especially understanding God revealing himself through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But then two... It's also conviction. This is the second layer. I'm going to sh- hopefully by the end you'll see how they all build together. But faith is also conviction. It's not just understanding. It starts with understanding. But it's not just understanding. It's understanding that moves into conviction or practice uh, or the, the impact of belief on our lives. Uh, these, those words, looking at Hebrews 1, here are the words. Assurance and conviction. They're words that have to do with certainty. They're words that have to do with staking your life on something. Um, This is where faith moves from simply being content, like as we say the Apostles' Creed. That's important. That's part of faith. We have to know it. But it begins to move into how it actually changes my life. It begins to move from content to action. The way that I was thinking about it is when I was, I never was uh, gifted as a drawer I just wasn't the kid who could just whip up little drawings. So I really enjoyed the connect the dot ones, you know, where you would just connect, <laughs> connect, the, dot, connect the dots. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about faith as conviction where you're beginning to connect the dots of what we say we believe to how we actually live. We're connecting the dots of what Jesus, what we believe he did for us in his life, death, and resurrection to how we actually live and move in this world. And this is where it starts to get tricky because this is where the heart gets involved. It's where, in the words of Mad Men, what I want, Don Draper once says, uh, this is advertising. It's, It's the tension between what I want versus what is expected of me. And we can say the same thing about faith. We begin to to wrestle in our hearts about what we say we believe and how we actually live. But the reality is that belief, hear this part, belief always works itself out in practice 
And practice always exposes what we actually believe. That's not true just of Christians or religious people. That's just true of humans, that belief always affects what we practice, and our practice always reveals what it is that we believe. All right, so over the break, big documentary couple. My wife's in the back there. We love watching a good, a good doc, and we watched Mother of God. Uh, if you've not heard of Mother of God, it's the story of son Max. It's the story of this woman who believes she is uh, God incarnate, and this is kind of COVID time, so just through the magic of the internet, she really develops this cult following. But part of what you begin to learn in this three-part doc is part of what she does is not only claim these things. One of the things she claims is that she has this cosmic connection. <laughs> I can't – if you've seen it, you know how wild it is. But one of the things is she has this cosmic connection to all of these celebrities dead and living. Like uh, one is John Lennon. Another is Donald Trump. And then another is the, the, at the very top, which is the strangest part to me, is Robin Williams. Like somehow he's the head celebrity. But people come like, – like not an insignificant amount of people come and live with her in this commune and they sort of worship her. But you begin to watch what they're doing and what – it can only be described as like a nonstop wild party that is just 24-7 where they're high – and or drunk all day long with approval from other God. Everyone's hooking up. Uh, she chooses her like second in commands, but she works through those. But you begin to see their practice. Here's the point. Their practice begins to show a bit of the shallowness of the belief. And they're choosing a belief system that sort of lets them do whatever they want. The way that it's been said before is what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. It's actually a great definition of sin, but faith, biblical faith, pushes back and says, yes, that's a great definition of sin, but there's another way, a way where, where the mind understands what's true what God has done, is doing, and will do. And the heart begins to want and believe and rest in what's true. And then from that flows the will choosing to live and repent and live and repent and live in what's true about Jesus. And this is a lifelong process called sanctification. And it's where our practice begins to catch up with our beliefs. Listen, this is what's hard about college, I think. In my own experience, and as I talk with you, what's hard about college, hear me out, isn't so much that your faith gets challenged like in the classroom. Like, I get that that happens. I'm not trying to discount that. But I think the much harder part of college, to me, is that your faith gets exposed. That what your heart really wants gets revealed. I'll just tell it from my own story. So my freshman year, my first semester here at Carolina, way, way back in the day, uh, two things happened. One was I took a New Testament class that was challenging. Like I became a Christian freshman year of high school. The professor was saying things that I knew were, were wrong or at least not orthodox. 
But it wasn't so hard for me to, t- to talk with friends, to talk with mentors, to find books that kind of help navigate me through the way he's challenged, like the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, that kind of stuff. Which is important, again, to the first point, it's important our understanding of how things work, uh, our understanding of the Bible, all that really, really matters. And the harder part of college for me was this. What my heart, even as I became a Christian, had and then lost in college was approval. What I mean is I went from, and this is not me like bragging because some of you, this is your story. My heart went from being the teacher's pet, being like my basketball coach cried at our, at our high school basketball banquet. That, that felt good. I'm not going to lie. That felt good. Coach Telly never cried. Being the youth group hero. Being, uh, having my first girlfriend. That felt amazing. And all that came crashing down in college. Because it was like, who are you? Do you matter? And I was left with Jesus. And ugh, who wants just Jesus? That's, that's a joke. <laughs> but it's that old Keller quote where he says, sometimes you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And what the Lord was doing, I can look back now, it's tough in the moment. Some of you know this. It's tough in the moment when you're realizing, oh, I'm worse than I thought. That uh, <laughs> high school was great, not because I had Jesus. That was amazing but because I had so much approval, that's what my heart wanted. And that's what the Lord graciously revealed. We say a lot in RUF uh, that our heart for you and our heart for what we want to be is that Jesus would become more beautiful and more believable to you and to me. That Jesus would become more beautiful and believable. And that's where I love the illustration. This is not unique to me. That says one of the better ways to understand faith is to think about it like a windshield. So you know this, for those of you who drive. Uh, if you start, you're driving and you start looking at your windshield, you're going to wreck. 10 and 2, I'm more of a... <laughs> I'm not that. <laughs> I mean this, but with no one. Anyways. Uh, but you're looking through your windshield to what's in front of you. And I love this. If you want to wreck your faith, start looking at your faith. If you want to grow in your faith, you start looking through your faith to Jesus. To grow in understanding what he's done for you. To grow in understanding his word to you. To grow in understanding who he is to you. What he says about himself. What he has for us. What he says is, is what he wants for the way that we live We look through our faith. Faith is looking through to Jesus. So here's a question. Is where do you need the Lord's help to connect some dots from what you say you believe to how you're actually living? And where do you need the Lord's invitation to not look at your faith, but to look through your faith to him and who he is to you? And that's the last thing I want you to see is faith is not just understanding. Faith is not just conviction, but faith is is those things leading to commitment. And here's what I mean by that. I want you to see how they go together. The more you understand Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, the more you're able to believe him 
And the more you believe him, the more you're you're, uh, able to entrust yourself to him. That's what I mean by commitment. I don't mean by commitment. We don't mean by commitment. Get your stuff together. That's not what we mean. We don't mean pull yourself up, girl, wash your face, that kind of stuff. That's not what we mean. What we mean is, it's an invitation to entrust more and more of yourself to him. Your whole self, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your struggles, your temptations, your story, to entrust your whole self to him. And what Jesus, the unique claim of Jesus is that he is the only God that we have ever heard of that can handle all of us. Every part of us, thoughts and feelings and actions, struggles and temptations, the hard parts of our story. And this is where, again, faith is not unique to Christians. This is an everyone thing because everyone is entrusting themselves to something, even if it's to themselves. Everyone has faith in that sense. Everyone is entrusting themselves to something, even if it is just to themselves. And everyone is asking this question, will, can does what I believe, can, will, what I put my trust in, hold me? Uh, some of you have heard me say this story before. When I was a younger campus minister at Georgia Southern, this is when Enos became a thing. Enos are a well a thing by now, but I'd never seen one in my life. I'm 43, older than you. And I'm, like, you have to understand, I felt like an alien looking at this hammock, and my students were like, this is awesome. It's so much fun. We get in here, we read books. We sometimes cuddle, all that, you know, Christian cuddle, all that stuff. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, "We're Sammy, you need to just experience this, climb into this thing. And I'm not kidding when I say, like, I was scared because I'm thinking I'm a bigger guy. Can't, will this thing hold me? Like, I, why would I look at these? I'm looking at these little straps. I'm like, there ain't no way this thing's going to hold all 200 plus pounds of me. Uh, <clears throat> more, more than that. That's fine. Um, And I think that is, we're not not talking about faith because we're asking that. Can Christianity, can the Lord Jesus hold me? Can he hold the full weight of my identity? Can he hold the full weight of my story? Can he hold the full weight of what everything that I bring that makes me me and y'all part of why we're, we're calling this series or I'm calling this series faith reconstructed because I want to go two ways with this two different friends uh, one just left Christianity because uh, they realized about themselves that they were attracted to men and women and they couldn't reconcile that with orthodox Christianity they couldn't reconcile it with the Bible so they said this thing can't hold me and they peaced. I know that you know, or at least have heard of, someone like that. And here's another friend. Uh, he would say, I'm gay. But he would say, I belong to Jesus. And I believe Jesus. And I think what Jesus wants for me, I trust. So he would call he, what he loves his celibate life. He would say, I don't think the Lord's going to make me straight. And I don't feel free to belong to Jesus and pursue marriage. And there's this one conversation in particular that I'll never forget. And here's what he said to me. And I'm just going to say it like he said it. As we're talking this out, he's one of my dearest friends. He said, that's all true. I don't think the Lord's going to make me straight. 
And I do believe the Bible is true. And then he said this, but I believe I can trust Jesus with my sexuality. And I believe that what he wants for me is best. Not that I don't struggle with that. And then he said this, plus who could ever love me like him? You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm wrestling with this, but I trust that Jesus can hold me, hold every part of me. And here's the reality is faith. It doesn't grow by mustering up all your strength to be more faithful to Jesus. It doesn't. You could try it. Good luck. Faith grows by keeping your mind and your heart and your will fixed on the faithfulness of Jesus. So the question is, where does your faith need to grow? In your understanding? In your conviction? In your entrusting more and more of yourself to Jesus? And if we're being honest, we all pray with that one dude, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Let's close together. Lord, that, that's my prayer. Um, and I pray that for myself. I pray that for my friends. Lord, we believe. But would you help our unbelief? Lord, I pray that you would make um, this semester as we look at Hebrews 11, would you make it, uh, would you grow us? Would you grow us in faith? But Lord, would you do that by reminding us, showing us, in beautiful and palpable and massive ways, your faithfulness to us, Lord, that you came and lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve to die because you love us. Lord, would you be the lifter of our head in that way? And would you remind us over and over again of the gospel uh, that we are worse than we think we are and yet we are more loved than we can imagine. Lord, we need that to grab our minds and our hearts and our wills. And Lord, would you do that? Grow faith in us in that way. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us on the last song.